0: hello everyone and welcome to a brand new podcast called films to save the world with me ross and me owen where two film fanatics discuss anything to do with films over a couple of pints join us on our adventure through cinema and time we need to go into our
1: drinks i guess so yeah let me uh I just open mine up.
0: What's your number six best of all time drink? So my drink is one that I've never
1: had before. Um, I always see the ads on TV. Um, It's Canadian, I believe, and that's cause you always see the cause light. Yeah, the guy
0: swimming in the snow. Um, uh, Yeah, exactly. Over Channel Four usually, isn't it? Um, Okay, right. Nice. So I thought I'd go for a cause this week. Very nice. How about yourself? What are you drinking today? Well, I've moved on to Aspels and I'm drinking an Aspels oh. Premier Crew cider in, wow. get this, an Aspels glass. Do you see that? Wow. That's yeah. outrageous. I'm oh. doubling down today. Well, mine's in a Carlsberg glass,
1: so, you know. Oh, What does you... that leave me... Uh, that's a traitor, you're a traitor
0: there. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, about to get arrested, <laughs> yeah. I think. Yeah. Anyway, cheers. Cheers. Just a quick reminder to anyone who hasn't listened to the podcast before, but we will be discussing spoilers throughout the episode, so if you don't want to hear about other of our films, listen to the first bit where we mention what filmers we'll be discussing today, and then go ahead and watch them and come back. Otherwise, if you're not bothered about spoilers, we'll jump straight into it. So... um, I believe, because we both had, in the previous episode, we both did Parasite together, but the time before that, I think you went first, so technically it's me to go Mm. first. Okay, let's go for it. So my number six is 1992's Unforgiven, and that Mm. is directed by Clint Eastwood, starring Clint Eastwood, and it's his farewell to the Western genre. He said that this is the last West film he will make. Mm. And that is I'll tell you why, because I've written it down because Mm. it surprised me because the West for him has been kind of his life. He spent so much of his career as an outlaw, as a cowboy, as a bounty hunter, anything under the sun in terms of a Western character. He's been. Yeah, Um, except a bad guy. I don't think he's actually been the villain. Um, right. Although it depends if you see certain of his characters as antiheroes, you could argue that his character in this film, William Money, is a villain. But yeah, we will get to that. We'll get to all of that. Yeah, uh, yeah. We'll get to all of that. I'm trying to see the bit where he actually said, which I've made a note of, as to why he doesn't do, it, he isn't going to want to do it again. Uh, Eastwood has long asserted that the film would be his last Western, concerned any future projects would simply rehash previous plot lines or imitate someone else's work which I think is very noble of him to actually say because we're living in a world now where they're making remakes upon remakes of everything. Mm. So it focuses on a retired old Western gunslinger who takes up one last job with an old partner and a young gunslinger called Schofield Kid. And Mm. it starts out as... But essentially he's on a mission to write the wrong of a cowboy who cuts up a prostitute in the opening scene cuts her her face up and the prostitutes don't get any justice from the sheriff or the guy who runs the saloon and they essentially are pushed aside for money the prostitutes start telling all of their clients that they're looking for a man or a group to go and basically kill them and they will give them I think it's about a thousand dollars that's where Clint Eastwood steps in so it's a revisionist mm. Western similar to one of my previous films uh, Dances with Wolves and that basically just means that all characters ideals and values are flipped on their heads so a traditional Western you have a hero you have the villain you have the female who they fall in love with, and it's all happy happy ending. Mm. And a revisionist Western is, the, if anything, the opposite. And, you know, morality, self-indulgence, the protagonist journey, females within the Wild West genre, and good and evil, they're all not so black and white, it's shades of grey. Mm. So the overall question... The whole film is, is, is this question which remains unanswered for the audience to work out what their answer is. And the question is, what will the outlaw, who has done such horrific actions and led a very sinful life, what will he do when he's old and grey and looks back on his life? Mm. And the film opens up with Clint Eastwood digging a grave on a sunset background. Mm burying his recently deceased wife and through some text you learn that he is hinted to be this character called William Money who was an outlaw who killed women, children robbed stagecoaches robbed banks, basically did everything that uh, encompasses and sums up an outlaw in the Wild Mm -hmm. West genre he's done it all and he's met this one woman who turned his life around and made him rethink everything. And he gave up drinking. It's somewhat of a, of a typical Christian life. He kind of leads out as a hog farmer mm-hmm. and you kind of join him recently, uh, uh three years after the, the death of his wife. And he's, He's, he's struggling as a pig farmer. He's failing. Uh, quite a few of his pigs have got the fever and he's living out in the sticks. There's very little money to be said to his name and he's got two young children to look after. He gets approached by one of his ex-partners who was in a gang that he rode with. It was his nephew, Schofield Kid, and he has heard of this prostitute's been cut up mm-hmm. and he's looking to hire William Money who is Clint Eastwood, to ride out with him, deliver justice, and get rich. Mm. And it's it, it kind of goes up from there. So, uh, yeah, what did you make of it before I um, go too deep into the whole film? Mm. Um, so I, I've never seen it before. I, you know, I, I've always enjoyed
1: Westerns, but I'm, I'm not the the fan that you are, um, by any means. Yeah. But I've, I've always enjoyed them, Um but more kind of as a passive you know watcher really um yeah and uh, yeah so, so this was a first a first watch for me um and and it was uh, I, I i enjoyed it i wasn't blown away by it i thought um it, it's always tricky isn't it because when we talk about kind of revisionist westerns we've now had mm. a lot of them so so it's difficult to look back at unforgiven because even when it, you know, you kind of say it was a revisionist western, it still feels quite old-fashioned in its mm. in its attitudes. Um, so it's it's a it's it's a funny one. I mean, it's
0: um, I I know I know exactly what you mean. Uh, I don't think the way that it was filmed makes it feel like it, it's filmed almost as a classic western. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's, which is probably why I did it to make it feel yeah. as a bridge between the two. Maybe yeah, that's very possible. I mean,
1: because when did Dances with Wolves come out?
0: Oh, we should know this one. Uh, 90, 1990 So this okay. was two years Eight later. Two years later. Yeah.
1: Um, I prefer Dances with Wolves. I think. Um, in, at, as a
0: standalone film, or like as a say revisionist western, or western in general. I think a bit of both.
1: I think a bit of okay.
0: um, I think that
1: the most interesting thing for me with Unforgiven... Obviously, we are getting into into spoilers at this point, but the um, most interesting thing to me is the way that... Uh, when he's not drinking, you know, without alcohol, mm. he's almost too racked with guilt about the things that he's done to kill again. And, and you know, he's, he's not a very good shot with a gun because he doesn't really want to kill people anymore but when he kind of is pushed after really after the death of kind of Morgan Freeman, um, you know, when, when he's pushed to need to, to kill and he's driven to do it, he starts drinking and then he's a crack shot, you know? Um, yeah. And, and, and at that point, you know, even after a whole gunfight, he continues to drink to make sure that he's, that his inhibitions have gone and that he's kind of, he won't hesitate, uh, killing people when he needs to. I thought that was a really interesting kind of, uh, character study you know uh, that was the most yeah. interesting side of it to me um, but that doesn't really come into it until right at the very end obviously you know that he doesn't drink Yeah. Um, you know about all these kind of awful things that he's done Yeah. in his life Um. but the, the most interesting part of it all to me uh, that kind of separated it from it being just kind of any other western was the, the alcohol side I, I thought that was a really interesting mm. kind of development um I thought, you know, I, I think Gene Hackman's great. You really hate him. Do you, yeah. you know, what I mean, he always, yeah. you know, he does often play villains anyway. He seems to be, yeah. uh, he's 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 very good at it, but you do hate him. He is. Uh, and there's yes. some really good the whole scene with um is it English John? Um, English Bob. English Bob. Oh, yeah, English Bob. Yeah. The whole scene with English Bob in the cell. Yeah, and, and you've got the the writer, and he kind of says, you know, give give English Bob the gun. You know, that yeah. that whole scene is 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 excellent. I mean, that's a really good scene, um, yeah. and I was really kind of, you know, you are on the edge of your seat, and you are yes. like thinking, you know, and obviously English Bob doesn't know if the gun's loaded, so it's yeah. thing of it, does he go? It's for it all smoke and, and mirrors. And, yeah, it's it's a
0: just illusions. You have got to try and outthink them. That the whole thing, which I love about uh, the typical. When people get challenged to a draw, you know they Mm. get, you know they say, "Let's draw," and then they go out of the saloon. They go to either end of the town and they stand there and they. And the whole point is, it's not actually about shooting at each other. It's that trying to read each other's mind. It's trying to work Mm. out what they're going to do next or when they're going to do it. Mm. And it's all illusion, and it's all about trying to out macho them mm. without even firing your gun before you then obviously fire the gun. Mm. And in that scene I think it sums up that so well. It's it's not about the gun, it's about them trying to appear superior uh, superior mm. in front of this writer. It's something that that happened in real life which uh, is something else why I love love this film so much is that they have this This nerdy looking little writer Mm -hmm. is called V.W. Beechamp and he's played by Saul Rubnick. That's right, yeah. Uh, And he essentially follows, at first, it's English Bob, played by Richard Harris. Yeah. And he's following him around, writing down his stories and he's writing Mm -hmm. out his life, putting his name into legend. And there's basic bits of information that he'll just tweak just by changing the certain types of language or embellishing the truth to make it sound like uh, he's a a, a legend, that he's a myth. Mm. And that's something in that scene that you're talking about. Little Bill, who's Gene Hackman, corrects Mm. him saying, no, 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 there wasn't five people in that bar where English Bob shot all of them. There was Mm -hmm. one, and he couldn't fire his gun straight because he was drunk. Yeah. And then that whole thing where he was walking through exactly what happened because he was there, mm. it takes away that myth and that um, legend aura that uh, Beechamp can bestow upon English Bob and then he eventually puts it on to Little Bill because mm. he's superior compared to English Bob. But mm. then in the finale when Willie Money comes in and shoots five men, mm-hmm. he then wants to do it to william money so it's it there's so many so many little aspects that are all revolving around each other yeah that was it's it's
1: beautiful it was a big thing as well that was happening around the kind of the time of the west as well the kind of american west where they were writing these these stories about people that that were heavily embellished and and dime novelists the truth was very much distorted and um, yeah
0: but that's something which I haven't seen... I, until that point, I'd not seen that in a proper Western where you actually that's have true, yeah. dime novelist. So I found that to be really interesting. And I, I, out of all of the characters, I actually hated him the most. I, I agree. He's a...
1: Yeah, I don't know if the I hated him novelist. more than Gene Hackman, but I did hate um, Well, ha- hate is such a strong
0: word. In terms of the actual character, he's the one who I found the most uh, irritating. He was the one who I could imagine having the most... This is going to sound really sadistic. I'm going to sound like little Bill now, but have the most <laughs> pleasure in actually shooting. <laughs> yes. Well, he it's was like, really uh, detestable. Really novelist. S- detestable, sly, yeah. Yeah, um, he was only in it for his
1: own benefit.
0: But yeah, to, what did you think about that, that final scene? Because for me, that is like the penultimate... That's like the peak. Everything gears up to that one fi- to that one scene. I thought it was great. I loved it. I thought it was really, really good. I
1: thought it was... um. In the sense of, in an older western, you'd potentially have had him come in, find Little Bill, and say, "Let's go out. Let's take this outside, and yeah. we'll we'll you know have a have a shootout, right? Yeah, you know we'll we'll, we'll do a, a quick draw or whatever they call it. Um, yeah, but I think it's nice when he just points the gun at Little Bill and just says, anyone standing behind him, better better clear yeah. out.'" yeah yeah and as soon as soon as it's clear just bam you know and he's and he's just killed him you know yeah or not quite killed him but at that that moment i was like okay i get i guess (laughs) guess that is a way to guess that's a way to kill a man you know yeah so so that i I thought that was really nicely done i thought oh yeah there's a real um you know that there's no messing about which i thought which i thought was nice yeah i thought that was a really nice kind of way of going about and, and like I say when he then kind of goes over to the bar and he continues having to, having a drink after he's cleared out the whole, you know killed everyone in there yeah. um you know that was when I started to find his character the most interesting you know um yeah yeah I, I, I overall I, I enjoyed the film I thought um I thought it was good um mm. I think where, where I don't have any kind of nostalgia with it and I think uh I always find it funny when um, when you get say an actor turned director and they the actor's playing the protagonist mm. and you know there's there's the whole bit where the woman who's been cut up the prostitute's been cut up yeah is almost offering to have sex with Clint Eastwood yeah and uh, you know and he's kind of like oh, I don't, I don't, I don't want that or, or whatever he says. Yeah. Um. You know, she's kind of like, oh no, you know, I, I don't mean me, with me. You could have it with anyone. You know, you if you don't wouldn't want to have it with a scarred woman kind of thing. Yeah. And He's like, oh no, if I did want to have it with anyone, I'd want to have it with you. Kind of. Th- it was. It was all very strange. Obviously, you didn't write the script, which is, you know, <laughs> yeah. One thing, but I always find it odd because it feels like it always just feels a little bit to me like someone's gone. Oh, I'm gonna I wanna direct a film but I'm gonna play the you know I'm yeah, gonna yeah. be the hero, I'm gonna be the main character, I'm gonna be the you yeah. know, the one that the women wanna have sex with, you know, and I'm I am yeah, like, i do oh, you, you know. Yeah. I was I was finding it a bit strange. Um yeah. say, he didn't write the script and obviously it's similar with Dances with Wolves where Kevin Costner didn't write the script. So, yeah. you know, I I do think that era in the nineties was a big era
0: of of kind of actors turned directors, but then it is a bit slow. There are times where the pacing of it, its obviously just setting the scene. I mean, it's—I think it's just shy of two hours, if I remember right. Mm. So it does have that a bit like Dance of with Wolves*. It does mm. have some breathing room to kind of really build up, really set the scene, set the characters. Mm. Something I do remember the first time watching it, as you said, it with nostalgia. This, you know, I said mm. this is. Mm. Possibly this one of the second or, you know, certainly one of the first few westerns I did see. Mm-hmm. So there is that nostalgic feeling for me there. But I definitely remember feeling that you, your opinion of William Money can change fairly, mm. fairly freely throughout the film. So yep. you have, to start off with, I didn't think he was this William Money, the evil yeah. ex-gunslinger. I thought yeah. he was maybe maybe his father or brother or something or friend, I don't know. I didn't think it was him though. And then you slowly learn more information and then you learn about how he was when he drank and it's kind of a mixed opinion mm. because Sanaki like was a real bastard when he drank and then he he starts to choose a different path where he isn't drinking. Like, okay, this guy might be morally good, he might be all right. And then you know he's in the art of killing you know he's willing to kill these two cowboys for some money you think okay that's morally questionable so i don't quite know how i feel about that mm. and then at the end obviously he starts drinking and then he goes off on a killing spree and then something which really seals the deal with and it's it's so effective having this as like the sec basically the last scene mm. is where he's, he's just finished cleaning up inside the the saloon he's mm. just killed six five six people and he's yeah. out in the street, and he goes. If anyone even looks at me or shoots at me, I'm gonna. I'm not just gonna kill them, but I'm gonna kill their wife. I'm gonna kill their family, and I'm gonna burn their house down. Basically, like, it's thre- if, if threat I of see, death. I, yeah, I, yeah. I if I like, see anyone, if, if I see anyone, I'm gonna yeah. kill you. <laughs> and it's literally like as soon as that happens, and it, as I said, it's literally this pretty much the last scene. You're kind of left with this slightly stunned feeling mm. where mm. you've just spent the whole film following pretty much following this guy who's a father to two young children who's trying to make an honest living with pig farming and you know he's trying to provide for his family and then he says that and does those sinful actions and you just mm. think uh, this is you know and that, and that is what a revisionist Western's about is to make mm. you question morality. And it's probably the most likely... It's probably how things were back then. Mm-hmm. If not, it's probably more brutal in real life. Yeah. But I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love it. Eastwood made his name in the Western genre. Yeah. And he's been a real catalyst for the Western genre. Mm. throughout his whole life. So this has ties to all of his previous work. It's the acclamation right. of his of his Western films. So you have Hang'em High, uh, the Outlaw Josie Wales, all the others that he's made. And it's the it's the deconstruction of of this sort of stereotypical Western which he helped to shape himself and he made it what it is. Mm. And I love that. It's kind of his farewell to his career. Uh it's won loads of Awards, you know, it's won best picture, best supporting actor, best director, best editing. That's for the Oscars. Um, yeah. And then uh, Gene Hackman has won uh, a few awards, I believe, for best supporting actor. Mm. Um, and you know, um, but it's also interestingly, this ties into Dancing with Wolves. It's the f- it's a film that was the third Western to be to win best picture, following Cimarron, which was nineteen thirty one. Right. And Dances with Wolves 1990. Yeah. Wow. In 2004, Unforgiven was selected for preservation in the US National Film Registry by the Library of Congress as being deemed culturally, historically and aesthetically significant. Mm. And then it was remade in 2013 as a Japanese film also called Unforgiven which stars Ken Watanabe. Oh, yeah but there's been this long-standing relationship that Japanese samurai films and American Western films have shared. Every character who dies has a name, and this illustrates that every death comes at cost. Each value of life is highlighted here with (coughs) each character having a name who Mm -hmm. dies. And this this references the never-ending cycle of of killing. You know, can Mm -hmm. violence solve violence? And that's... Mm -hmm kind of how the film starts and it's how the film ends so the whole film is just one big cycle of violence each time violence occurs the aftermath is often a build-up towards more violence so it's mm. just a never-ending cycle you know violence aftermath build-up violence etc it's
1: a very very tightly paced like there's nothing in it yeah. that doesn't need to be in there it's very kind of, it doesn't outstay its welcome it's very much no. kind of yeah, so it's, you know, it's considering it's half the length of Dances with Wolves.
0: <laughs> You're not going to let me forget that, are you?
1: <laughs> I mean, I've, yeah. I've got some long ones myself coming up, so I, no, I, I that's, can't that's really. Yeah, I can't that's okay. talk.
0: Um, but, um, yeah. With the character study of William Money, there's well, mm. the last thing he says to, or the last thing Bill, little Bill, says to him is, I'll see you in hell, William Money. And he goes, he just goes, yeah. Because he knows yeah. he, he will. He's not yeah. saved. Out of yeah. everything he's done, he is not saved. And this is purely act of vengeance. And he he knows that he's um, he's done. Mm. There was just one final thing. It's literally just come to me. I should have written it down. Mm-hmm. There's a, a, a theory. And I, right. I believe it's true. I personally believe it's true. But in the book of Revelations... Death rides a pale horse or a white horse and in one of Clint Eastwood's previous western films it's called Pale Rider where Clint Eastwood rides a white horse and in Unforgiven he also rides a white horse and the theory is that in a particularly action or a violent film if someone if there's horses and stuff if it's white they are symbolism for death and Mm. what is William Money in this film? Mm. He, mm. you learn about all the sins of his past, where he kills and en- anything, and then he shoots mm. up six, five, six people at the end, and he's riding a white horse. So, in my mind, he kind of is a symbolism for death. Mm.
1: Yeah, I think I think
0: that's very uh, yeah, that's very interesting, and yeah. that sort of stuff I just love. Where you just can look deeper and deeper and deeper into mm. it. So. Okay. I guess with that. Oh, wait, hold on. What's that noise? Oh my god, dun, dun. it's Tom Cruise! <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, what yeah. is your. Uh, I mean, just by that, we could probably work well, out what your next words, but-, <laughs> but surprise,
1: surprise, uh, my. Number six, favourite film of all time, currently, is Mission Impossible Fallout, Ray. which is the sixth Mission Impossible film. Number six is the sixth. Oh. Um, I suppose a little bit of context first, probably. Yeah. Um, I, I'd i always enjoyed the Mission Impossible films um, from, from kind of the first uh, onwards. Maybe not two, but other than that, <laughs> like I'd always not... enjoyed... Uh, I'd, I'd always enjoyed the other ones, so I'd, I'd enjoyed, you know, I'd enjoyed all of them, um, and I, I was very curious about Fallout before it came out. I thought, you know what, I like a good, a fun action movie. Um, yeah, I'd never seen any of them at the cinema. Um, I, I wasn't that level. Wait, sorry, of fan. what? So I, I'd never seen any of the Mission Impossible's prior to Fallout in the cinema. Really? I don't I'd just seen them on TV. We didn't even own any of them. It was only ever just watched them on TV and um, and enjoyed them, right? Fair. So, <clears throat> and I don't think I'd quite realised that since I'd started watching kind of Mission Impossible one when I was you know quite a young kid, and I'd loved the James Bond films as well. Kind of growing up, yeah. Um, you know, I I always. You know, some kids, maybe yourself included, would play kind of cowboys and Indians. Um, I would play spies a- as a kid. Yeah. You know, I-, I would, I would that that was my whole thing. You know, I'd yeah. have, like I'd write secret messages with invisible ink and oh, YouTube yeah, videos yeah. to like you know that sort of thing. I loved it, I loved it, loved it. <laughs> so Mission Impossible Fallout, you know, I was I was very curious about it. I thought, you know what, I'm quite interested in seeing it. At that point, mm. I was going to the cinema quite a lot. You know, that film came out in 2018. And price, yeah. which release you know a couple of weeks beforehand, you know it gets opened up to to reviews to kind of critics, and I was very curious. Oh, I wonder how, how it's done, and yeah. everyone loves it, right? And it starts yeah. getting this massive kind of acclaim. And I was thinking, oh, this is really interesting. And the and the thing that kept popping up that I remember kept I kept seeing was that it was a darker take. So I was thinking, yeah. oh, okay, it's interesting because the last two have both been very fun. Oh, yeah. Okay, interesting that it's a darker take, um, and the people saying it's basically the best. You know, it was a very mm. wide thing where people were saying it's the Empire Strikes Back or it's the Dark Knight of the Mission Impossible films. So immediately yeah. I was very, I was very in, in, intrigued. I was like, okay, this is really interesting. You know, my parents have always enjoyed the Mission Impossible, so I kind of said, you know, should we go and, you know, should we go and watch the new Mission Impossible? So we thought, oh yeah, why not? You know, we always watch, watch them. We always enjoy them. So let's let's go along and see him. We're sitting down in the cinema, you know. Um yep. And uh you know, and I've kind of got this idea of it being darker in my head thinking, well, I wonder how this is going to kind of manifest and <laughs> and uh and so the film, you know, starts and immediately we open on a dream or show, or more a nightmare sequence. Yeah. As he's getting married to Michelle Monaghan from Mission Possible 3. Yeah. Um And the villain Sean Harris is uh, kind of uh, leading the wedding, Um, Mm. and you see this nuclear blast kind of go off in the distance, and suddenly, almost like something from a horror film, their skin just like tears away for like a brief second, and it's It's I was immediately like, "Whoa, okay, this is this is new, this is different for a Mission Impossible film," and suddenly I got like, "Okay, yeah, this is darker." You know, yeah. in in uh, we'd never had dream sequences. We'd never really delved into the psyche of any of these characters. It was always just they're a fun surface movie. Yeah, exactly. And that was always fine. But suddenly, on the sixth one, to get something a little bit different, a little bit deeper, a little bit more uh, intriguing, I thought, okay, yeah, uh, I'm in. Right, I'm in. Yeah. Then, subsequently, you get. You know, he, he kind of learns about the apostles in in his mission. So the mission is ultimately there are three, I think they're plutonium cores or something. Yeah. And these three cores can basically make three nuclear weapons. And he's basically told that, that this kind of organisation who call themselves the apostles um, believe that they need to basically let off these three nuclear bombs in different kind of major cities around the world. Um, yeah. And ultimately, this will kind of bring about world peace. They have this real twisted idea of it. So so immediately, you're kind of... Okay, it's a very classic Mission Impossible plot line, right?
0: Yeah. The odds are stacked 90% against them, and they've got a very sl- yes. thin sliver to do it. Yeah. Which is classic mission.
1: So they uh, undercover... Um, this is the very opening of the film, really. They undercover go along to a uh, to a trade to get a plutonium core uh, yeah. down this kind of dark alleyway this very seedy alleyway it's very kind of moody it's it's nighttime they're in this tunnel and uh, and the exchange goes wrong and Ethan Hunt finds himself having to shoot Ving Rhames' Luther mm. and suddenly I was like oh, Luther's dead. I was like, this is everyone says this is the dark version of of Mission Impossible. I was like, he's dead. He's gone. Right? Ridiculous, really. But at the time in the cinema, I was like, if they just if they just if they just, done, if they just killed Luther, <laughs> can't kill Obviously, Luther. You know, he's not. It, it was body shots and he's got bulletproof vest as he would do. It makes sense. But I was like, okay, thank God. But they turn around. The plutonium core is gone. Yeah. And it's like, oh shit. Okay the villains have, the baddies have won. You know, within five minutes of this film, the baddies have won. And I was <laughs> like, this is, I was like, oh, this is mad. I was like, this is, this is so interesting for a, you know, for a Mission Impossible film. So. Yeah. Or, or, or that they, they get hold of this scientist. Um, I think they, they crash, they crash a car into him and, and they, they get mm. the scientist and this, this, yeah, of, you know, the scientist wakes up in a hospital and, and he's playing. one of the apostles, isn't he? He's, he's one of the apostles. He, he's yeah. part of them. Yeah. Yes. So he's a he's a he's a Bayard scientist, and um, so, so this scientist who wakes up <laughs> in a UK. <you> okay? <laughs> yeah. No, sorry. He's a bayed scientist. <laughs> he's a Bayard scientist. So so he's in this hospital and he's been handcuffed to the to the bed. And playing on the news is a news reporter talking about the three nuclear bombs having gone off in cities around the world. And uh and this scientist like kind of wakes up, you know, from his from his coma thinking, Oh my god, dude, we've we've done it. You know, we've 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 achieved what we wanted to. And you know, and Ethan Hunt, Tom Cruise kind of sat in the in the room along with Luth Irving rames and uh you know, and they kind of say, You know, we've had you know, you've been unconscious for about a week, um we need information from you. Uh, mm. and uh And he basically says, I'll give you the information if you have, you know, if you get basically get, you know, call it in for this newsreader on live on air to read out our, our manifesto, you know, because he, because he basically says the information's useless to you as soon as you read out this manifesto and, and, you know, it's basically useless to you anyway. Mm. So they, they, you know, that they kind of reluctantly agree and, uh, you know, he, he gives them the information they need. And then you see the news reporter read aloud the manifesto on the TV. They then kind of say, okay, we've got the information. And suddenly all the walls on the hospital fall down, very yeah. Mission Impossible. The yeah. news reporter is has just been Simon Pegg, Benji, and he just kind of takes off his mask, um, you know, his yeah. latex mask. Uh, yeah. You know, And, and the, the doctor's kind of very confused, and he's kind of like... The, the bombs didn't go off and they're like no 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 we you know you've only been in here like a couple of hours, you know, but now we've got <laughs> yeah. the information we need to go and find this this you know, plutonium core that that, that we messed up and lost, you know. It's a masterful um, scene. So good. It's amazing. And suddenly I was just like, oh my yeah. God. I was yeah. like, oh my God, yeah, and, uh, and suddenly the and 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 I was like, I and I will be honest with you, Ross. I started to cry. <laughs>
0: oh. <laughs> so
1: I was like, I, I, I was sat in the cinema, and I was just I I was like, mm. oh my god! I was like, this is this is this is incredible. Yeah, it is and, brilliant. And then the film just continued just to get better and better, and and yeah. I was just absolutely like flabbergasted i i just yeah. I, I i was completely flabbergasted and i just thought this is absolutely amazing this is so good It is you know so and good. i think i think it's quite easy to kind of um uh to almost kind of sideline the mission impossibles is just a bit of fun you know action fair and and you yeah. know most of them are i think but fallout i think really elevates uh, mm. the 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 material and and it's yeah. just I remember thinking, you know, that there's a common theme when you get kind of a lot of Oscar winners, right? Actors, you know, a lot mm. of the time they will win because they've maybe risked their life for, a, for an art. Like, you know, they might lose a load of weight and, and it might be like, okay, yeah, you've, you've really pushed you know, push yourself <laughs> yeah. for, this, for this role <laughs> or whatever. And yeah. it's like Tom Cruise risks his life for every Mission Impossible film. Yeah, you know, and like losing
0: a bit of weight is nothing compared to what yeah, he does. Exactly. Yeah, and
1: compared to strapping himself to the side of planes and like, you yeah, know, running around the Burj, the tallest building in the world, and uh, it's just it's mental. But no, no one else can do the stuff that he does. No, because there's a you know there, there's a whole thing where because he produces the films and he helps get money for them. The whole thing I remember, Matt Damon, I think, was saying that he once asked Tom Cruise, yeah. you know, how, how do you... I know right, exactly. Is, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, how do you get to do all these crazy, like, death-defying stunts? You know, mm. and Tom Cruise kind of says, like, well, you know, I, I speak to the health and safety person. And I say, this is what I want to do. You know, how do we do it? And if the health and safety person says, you can't do it, I sack him and get another health and safety person. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like... It's, it's amazing. It, you know, it, it's mad. It's like, yeah. you know, you just... he he knows what he wants to do and says this is what I want to do yeah how can we do it and if they say it's not possible well you're clearly not the right person to help us make it happen yeah you know watching these death defying stunts Mm. that are are so well choreographed and so well performed yeah and and Fallout is really the peak of action cinema like it sounds so ridiculous but I think it really is I mean that that bathroom fight scene is fantastic absolutely it phenomenal is. the the halo jump the you know as they're kind yeah. of fawn through you know i think i get they had to do a bit of cgi for the lightning and all that kind of stuff which yeah i think slightly detracts from that scene for me but it's still there's no question you're like this is amazing you know and obviously they did the whole thing for real and it is miraculous how they did yeah. it yeah fallout you're like you've seen all these amazing sequences I mean just this fantastic bathroom fight I mean that bathroom fight alone is just brilliant it's so yeah. well choreographed so well and, uh, so and Henry Cavill so reloading well. his knuckles yeah like, the reloading, reloading his arms, arms. that's it yeah. the whole bit as well when they've knocked the guy out and then they and they hear a couple of guys coming in the yeah, bathroom yeah. so they like run into the cubicle and then the yeah. guys just see three pairs of legs sticking yeah. out of the cubicle yeah. and they're, <laughs> and they're like oh they're can all, we join in boys you know, like, oh. yeah 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 there's room for so, one
0: more. It's so yeah.
1: such a realistic way of portraying like mm. high end uh, espionage, you know. Yeah. I mean, uh, unrealistic espionage, you know. <laughs> the whole kind of recreating people's faces and stuff. That's so bit... you know ridiculous, but it works yeah. so well. So this, the I think Tom Cruise is really um, he's a much better comedy actor as well than he's ever really given credit for. Yeah. Like, because there, there's an amazing bit as well in that bathroom fight when the guy's beating the beating the crap out of both of them. Yeah. And Tom Cruise just, just looks so exhausted, you know, and he's yeah. getting up like, God's sake, you know, If I really got to keep, I I keep trying to fight this guy, you know? I should take that, that job whole, down the local supermarket. You know,
0: like, what am I doing there?
1: Yeah. Like, you, you get some, some films, for example, where I think there might be one standout scene. And sometimes I think, you know, all, all the film needs is to be overall good and to have one really standout scene and you think... Yeah, I really enjoyed that, you know, and you think, oh, that one scene was amazing. Mission Impossible Fallout is just amazing scene after scene. It's just so good, and it's so... And as soon as you start to delve into the psyche of the psychology of of Ethan Hunt as somebody who can't... uh, You know, if he has an opportunity there and then to save one life, but potentially put at risk thousands... He'll save the one life and then figure out how he's gonna save yeah. the thousands. Yeah, he's incapable of of not saving the. Li- I mean, it, you even get the whole bit. Another really funny scene when they're uh, they're putting Solomon Lane, uh, Sean Harris's character. He's got a hood over his head. That they've, they've like mm. bagged his head up and then they're, and they're pushing him in the back of a car. I think Henry Cavill is. And um, and suddenly the the gar- they're opening up this garage door and there's a policewoman standing outside staring at them yeah as they're, as they're pushing like a guy, a guy in the yeah, back of a car a quite hostage. clearly looking hostage exactly yeah. it's, it's a very funny situation <laughs> yeah so there's so many scenes that are so well put together and so good and you're thinking how can any of this get topped and yeah. then you've got him hanging off a fucking helicopter at the end of the film and you're just like this is. This is incredible, you know, and, and you're thinking, and to an extent, I find some of the whole kind of when the helicopters are rolling all over the place and you're thinking, you're, you're like still alive coming out of that? I'm not so yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. But I can forgive that side of it completely. When you're seeing those shots of him crawling up ropes and you're like, I mean, that's real, <laughs> he's yeah. doing that. It is Obviously, it's going to be safety-wise that they would have painted out with CG, but it is still just so such a well put together film and the film never loses sights of, of its narrative and he, you know its narrative is extreme it's Mission Impossible of course it's about nuclear explosions and yeah but it is it works completely so well you know between Solomon Lane and uh, and Henry Cavill's character you've got two really interesting villains yeah. and you've got such a great cast of of heroes who you, who you root for you know between Ethan Hunt Luther Benji Ilsa I just I think it's just it is so good. It's just yeah. such a good film, and it's so watchable. You know, I mean, I, I'd I'd watch it this afternoon. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's so yeah. such a watchable film. Mission Impossible from the nineteen in the nineteen sixties. Um, the music was written by Lalo Schifrin. This is interesting. So he also wrote the music for Dirty Harry, Magnum Force, Sudden Impact, a load of uh, different Clint Eastwood films. <laughs> yeah, which, uh, I've only just seen now. So. Uh, <laughs> But Lalo Schifrin wrote the Mission Impossible theme for the TV show. You know, the stuff right. that we've, we've heard a thousand times. In the 90s, when they did Mission Impossible 1, uh, Danny Elfman came on to do the music. And he did his own version of yep. the Lalo Schifrin theme. And then in 2000, it was a relatively unknown at the time composer called Hans Zimmer who wrote the music no. for Mission Impossible 2 that's mad, not true is that real is that actually that's real, true that's real Hans Zimmer wrote the music for Mission Impossible 2 back in 2000 Mission Impossible 3 was uh, Michael Cucino, um, who at the time probably coming off the back of doing a few uh, uh, Pixar movies so Michael Giacchino did The Incredibles Ratatouille Up um, okay cool more recently The Batman and uh Star Trek, and now he does a load of the Marvel movies. So Michael Kicina wrote the music for Mission Possible 3 and 4. Um, I think where he'd done the music for The Incredibles, when Brad Bird came on to do 4, I think they had a working relationship. Nice. Then Joe Kramer, I believe, was the uh, composer who did the music for Mission Possible Rogue Nation. Fairly unknown composer. He'd done the music for Jack Reacher. Um, yeah. Prior to that, which presumably was how he got Mission Impossible. Yeah. Um, but actually, it's a, it's a very good score for Regnation and kind of plays with, with some interesting motifs. Yeah. And then for Mission Impossible Fallout, they brought in the Scottish composer Lorne Balf, who uh, had already been a bit of a favourite of mine. He brought in his own theme, and he slowed the theme right down. And it's really interesting when you kind of listen to the to the comparisons. And I suppose the whole idea was where they were doing a slightly darker mm. film, yeah. Slow down the themes, which is less upbeat, and it's a bit more uh, low key, maybe. Yeah. But um, a bit darker. But his whole score is just amazing. It's absolutely fantastic. And when it kicked in, that was really what made me cry. I was like, oh my god. <laughs> have you seen Have you seen all of them, do you reckon?
0: Yeah, yeah. When I saw. Mission Impossible Fallout I went to the 4DX cinema with my mum and dad Mm. and we had the the glasses on and we were in the chairs that move with the water spray, the air spray rocking Mm. everything and that opening scene as you brilliantly described, Mm. at that point this like burst Mm. of air came either Mm. side of us where these two little holes were and I'm sat on the end my mum's in the middle and my dad's on the other side and my mum i don't think i've ever heard her scream so loud she <laughs> shrieks shrieks is probably the the right way to describe it. it's like a banshee and then she starts laughing my dad starts laughing out of like i can't be dealing with this and i'm just laughing because i'm like this is a great way to start the film yeah. that scene where henry cavill gets a hook to the face mm. the chairs kind of instantly like shoot backwards kind of just like Mm. rock really sharply bursts of air and a slight bit of water so it felt like i literally got splattered with his blood as i got sent back and it was it was quite an experience it was definitely a good film to see in 4d but in terms of the others i think i was probably too young to see the first mission impossible i remember seeing that on like film four Mm. definitely saw the third one in cinema And since then saw the rest in cinema. But yeah, love them from kind of the start. Until Fallout, I thought Mission Impossible films were the, you know, you can go in a bit of fun for an hour and a half, two hours, Mm. and then you can kind of... Forget about it when you leave. Not necessarily, but it's like there isn't too much more to necessarily think about. Mm-hmm. And then Fallout hits, and it definitely has a lot darker of a twist to it. I think Tom Cruise is arguably one of the best actors of all time, purely for the fact that he does all the stunts mm-hmm. himself. And to be honest, when you mentioned it last time, is in in when you mentioned it in the last episode that this was your number six. I was quite surprised, Mm. not necessarily... I knew that a Tom Cruise film was going to be in here somewhere, Mm. but I was thinking, out of all the films so far, this is like the most Hollywood... You know, this is very Mm. mainstream, and you've had a couple of... okay. Parasite is slightly different, but Memories of Murder, that's that's like the total opposite of mainstream. You know, it wasn't in our, as in the Westerns, sort of eye at the time yeah so it really made me think that's quite a polar opposite to a previous film that you've mentioned so you've got a real Mm. and this is not a criticism at all but you've got a real Mm. widespread of films that are Mm. on your list which is obviously great it just took me aback i didn't think that something this mainstream would actually be on your list i don't know why i just i was a bit surprised yeah yeah it's very interesting i mean um
1: yeah, it's probably, it probably is the most mainstream on my list, kind of re-looking really at it now. Yeah. Um. Yeah, most of them are usually a little less mainstream than that. But almost to an extent, Mission Impossible's has only grown to become mainstream. Well, no, that's bollocks, actually. It's always been <laughs> a vehicle. It's always been the big mega star.
0: <laughs> yeah. Why is Mission Impossible Fallout your mm-hmm. number six compared to, say, because in... The last episode, when we were talking about Parasite, we both said that number six and number five are more maybe nostalgic to us, but, Mm. say, cinematically, or more than that, Parasite's better. So why is this further Mm. up your line than Parasite, Mm. or was...? Well,
1: yeah. See, I would say (coughs) Parasite uh really looking at my top ten here I think Parasite is probably a better film than my four five and six yeah um four is for nostalgia reasons five and six and six being fallout are more just personal uh <clears throat> things i i think there's um i think uh parasite there are individual elements that i love that i think are amazing and i think um are really really strong yeah there are also scenes in parasite that i think you know that they service the story but they're not scenes that i necessarily like absolutely love you know yeah like like when the when the son is teaching the daughter you know maths or whatever and and, you (laughs) know it's an interesting scene and you've got the whole Thing about the heartbeat and they're like feeling each other's wrist and but
0: You're like come on mate mean?
1: yeah yeah no I know I know and it's yeah, like yeah. um well I think Fallout is like every scene is just brilliant yeah it's just great and it's it really really know, is might not be might not be as profound maybe as Parasite and I don't think my 4 5 and 6 are as profound necessarily um you know it's Fallout's not discussing kind of society um, yeah in that sort of a way.
0: That's, yeah, that's a really interesting take on that, yeah.
1: But I couldn't watch Parasite every day, I don't think. Hmm. Yeah. Well,
0: certainly my five and six, I probably could. Yeah, I'm with you. Parasite is far better cinematically than, say, Unforgiven is. I wouldn't necessarily say that it's better, though, than Mission Impossible, because you're comparing two different forms of cinema, and also both mm. are quite. Different genres, so they both are brilliant in the genre that they meet the criteria for. You know what the story that they're Mm. trying to tell. That's true. Is
1: yeah, like you say, it's it's the nature of their of their genres, isn't it? Yeah, you know, um, Parasite isn't going to be a thriller minute Mm. film, um, whereas Mission Impossible always would be. But because of its genre and because it deals with the genre conventions and, and and treats them so seriously and does them in such a good way. In such an in, uh, in a way that you can just invest so much time in rewatching *Mission: Impossible*. Before that, it's just I think it's it's undoubtedly in my top ten. Like there's no question. I think it's just I could watch it so much and it's so watchable. Yeah, it um, is. Yeah, and, it is. Oh, it's just, just fantastic. Yeah. You know? Anything more that you want to kind of?
0: No, off? it's um, Fab Choice. Uh, I, I I didn't see it coming to be honest, but it was. Uh, mm. Yeah hearing you talk about it so passionately it's made me think, yeah, it is actually such I mean, it is a brilliant film but hearing your thoughts on it it's like, that is it's wicked, mm. it's such a good film it's um, amazing yeah it's, uh, it's a real good one it's interesting because uh, I, I, I
1: don't know if you've seen my number five and I okay. don't know if you'll like my number five <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. so yeah, I guess yeah, it's yeah. you right, first then alright all um, so my my number five then favourite film of all time
0: is the 2019 film Booksmart I haven't seen it I went okay. out my way I did my damnedest to, to try and see it <laughs> I've seen it uh, 12 times 12
1: times? <laughs> <laughs> what? yeah I've, well I've yeah I've, I've, I've logged it on Letterbox 12 times in what, three years? What's that? Four times a four year times? on average?
0: Is it... Uh, well, I mean, I guess we'll be obviously going over it. In the, But is it... Uh, <laughs> no, we, yeah, we will. Is were. it like a comfort film? If you've seen it four times oh, yeah, a oh, year definitely. on average?
1: Yeah, definite comfort film. Wow. Um, I, I could watch it.
0: Um, right. All the time. Well, to, to be honest, now you've said that, I don't think that you would have seen my number five. Okay. You may have done, but I just have a feeling you may... Have other priorities to see before this one. Interesting. Okay, so my number five is 2019's Sound of Metal.
1: Okay. Yes, I have seen Sound of Metal. You have seen it. Okay. (laughs) I have seen it. Right. uh, I'll I'll need to rewatch it because I I saw it probably about oh god, maybe about a year and a half ago,
0: something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mentioned, you know, in the the second episode we did of oh, sorry, third episode of Whiplash. I said. Sound of Metal. Uh, I said there might be another drummer film on, and um, that is that's confirmed.
1: Yeah, I I, I did kind of. Yeah, I suspected. Yeah. Because I I knew that you liked Sound of Metal, so I kind of. I think you did mention that there was another drummer film or something like that. Yeah, thought, it I was wonder, on there. Yeah, I wonder. Is that us? Finished. That's probably us finished. I suppose. Yeah. Cool. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you've enjoyed listening to the Films to Save the World podcast, series one. We hope to see you in the next episode.